Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Best-selling author A.J. Jacobs has received some strange emails over the years, but this note was perhaps the strangest. You don't know me, but my wife is your eighth cousin. We have over 80,000 relatives of yours in our database. That's enough family members to fill Madison Square Garden four times over. Who are these people, A.J. Jacobs wondered, and how do I find them? So began his three-year adventure along the branches of the world's family tree. Along the way, he drinks beer with a U.S. president. He visits Salt Lake City in the genealogical database of the Mormon Church. He meets scientists and computer programmers working to chart and understand the world's genetic links, and he attempts to convene the biggest family reunion in recorded history. His latest book is called It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree. A.J. Jacobs is author of four bestsellers, including The Year of Living Biblically, He's a contributing editor to Esquire's magazine. He's a contributor to NPR, hosts a podcast called Twice Removed, given several TED Talks, lives in New York City with his wife and three sons. You can find him online at ajjacobs.com. A.J. Jacobs, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. Uh, let's see, you're sounding a little muffled. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hold on, I'm sorry. Let me try this. Is this any better? Yeah, that's that's sounding better. That's uh, unmuffled. Um, so, okay. yeah, thanks for for joining us. Uh, this is um, uh, your previous book's very interesting. This one hits upon something that's uh, I think listed among the uh, you know the top uh, hobbies uh, in the world uh, on a regular basis. But you're saying even with the popularity, there's been an explosion. There's an ongoing explosion of interest in in genealogy in several different ways, and you've uh, you've jumped in with both feet here. Uh, tell me about this this email that you got from uh, apparently a, a relative. Right, yeah, as you say, it was a very strange email. Uh, you don't know me, but I'm your eighth cousin. And I was immediately suspicious. I figured, okay, he's going to ask me to wire $10,000 to a Nigerian bank account. But it turns out he was legitimate, and he is an obsessive genealogist. And he is one of these people who is helping to build these family trees that are just epic, that are beyond what I what I ever imagined. Because they're not hundreds or thousands of people. Some of them are millions of people, all from dozens of countries, um, all sorts of ethnicities. And they're all connected on this uh, massive family tree. And I was immediately uh, intrigued. Uh, more than intrigued, I was fascinated, because I always thought genealogy, you know, was kind of interesting, but it seemed a little stodgy, um, sort of like needlepoint. No offense, my mother is a big fan of needlepoint. But uh, as soon as I dove in just a little, I realized how thrilling genealogy is, especially nowadays, and how it's having a huge impact on every part of our lives, from politics to health, race relations, identity, you name it. So I thought, this has got to be my next book. Mm. In fact, you, you went, you've gone to several conventions, and as you say, uh, participants in genealogical conventions won't be uh, confused with the participants in Coachella. So, there, so some of the, you know, some of the stereotypes are true, but but it but it is really exploding. Uh, people from all walks of life are getting interested here. Uh, so there there are t- uh, two factors that are really revolutionary. The first is collaborative genealogy. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, and you're right. I I loved going to these conventions, and I visited your city uh, several times, and I spoke at the biggest genealogy convention, Root Tech, uh, 
probably to the biggest crowd I'll ever speak to, 8,000 people. I was the warm-up guy for Donny Osmond. So that was That's pretty a, good, uh, yeah. Yeah, why not? A very, uh, very fun. And, and people were okay. They weren't, like, looking at their watches saying, where's Donny? <laughs> they paid attention. Uh, yeah, so there are a couple of revolutions happening. One, as you say, collaborative genealogy. So think of, instead of you building your own little family tree, like a bonsai tree, you are actually one of thousands of people collaborating on a huge uh, jigsaw puzzle that spans the world. Uh, it's sort of along the lines of Wikipedia, uh, where people can uh, all collaborate. Uh, and so this has definitely changed. Uh, it's got its pros and cons. You know, there is the danger of, of it not being accurate, these massive trees. But it's also the benefits are astounding in that you can find relatives, second cousins, third cousins, ancestors you never knew you had, uh, you know, communicate with someone in Bulgaria who has photos of your great-grandfather you never knew existed. Uh, so it is really remarkable. That's one of the big revolutions. And then the other one is this the DNA revolution, millions of people taking uh, DNA tests. And that is changing things uh, drastically and in a very exciting way. One of your hopes, I know, I'll just quote this from your introduction. Uh, you say we're all obsessed with us versus them thinking, blue states versus red state, Americans versus foreigners, uh, the list goes on. And then you go on to say, I, I see this trait in myself, and it disturbs me. You're hoping that as we learn that we're all relatives, that this can be, I guess, counteracted. So so tell me first of all about, uh, I, I guess sometimes we do get self-righteous. We think, uh, you know, I'm not the problem. Right. Well, I think humans in general, we are tribal. We're like, you know, our side is better than their side. Uh, and it's an understandable feeling, but it's also very destructive. And I think we're seeing that more and more um, because it really isn't us versus them. It's us. There's only us. And we've got to get together to solve these huge worldwide problems. Um, so, yeah, the hope is. And it's a little idealistic, but there is some science behind it. The hope is that once we think it sinks in really concretely and scientifically how close we all are, how we are really are one big family, then maybe we'll be more willing to work together. And one study that was very exciting was just a year ago from Harvard, and they told Palestinians and Israelis, they showed them how closely they were related. And the it changed their point of view. They became more open to negotiating, kinder to each other. So I think there is uh, there is a way that this sort of this family bias, if we can apply it to the whole world, uh, it might help. So some some hope there. Uh, by the way, this I think this was this the study sent to you by your brother-in-law with whom you had just uh, had a, a an argument. <laughs> That is true. The irony is, of course, that, uh, yeah, my hope is that family can bind us together. Um, and yet I had a, a huge blowout argument with my brother-in-law about this very topic. Um, and But then the good news is we reconciled when he sent me this article that sort of backed up my point. So he was the bigger man. He took the high road. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite scenes in the book. You're arguing, you are family arguing about whether family brings us together. Um, and, and this is so true. this is the brother-in-law who uh, likes to say, I think what you mean to say is, he's, <laughs> just, uh, you right. say he's infuriated. Yeah, he is 
he's brilliant and uh, and funny and smart and infuriating. Uh, and he says things like, uh, he's a character in all of my books. He's sort of uh, the, the villain, the lovable villain, but the villain. He says things like, humans are a fascinating species. And I'm like, you are human. You realize that. You're not apart from us. Uh, I wonder, uh, maybe we could bring in a couple of the other studies here. That, that, you know, this is from near the end of the book here, and it brings it to a hopeful conclusion. Maybe we do it at the beginning of the conversation here. You mentioned that the Israelis and Palestinians, if, if they discover they're related, then it, it has an effect. There was an interesting study that you found where um, if uh, a picture is altered to make it look like you, you're more you're better disposed toward a person. Right. Uh, because you think that they're probably more related. And from an evolutionary point of view, it totally makes sense. You know, we want our DNA to propagate. That's the whole point of our our genes. So anyone who's really closely connected, uh, we're going to favor. Um, which, as I say, it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint, but from like the making the world a better place, it's not really a great model uh, because it means the people who look different from us or who are, you know, 60th cousins instead of first cousins, uh, that we we just don't care about them as much. Um, but now that the world is all connected, that's just not feasible anymore. That's not a good way to go about life. You've written that as an organizing structure, family has its costs and its benefits. What are what are the what are the costs and what are the benefits? Well, I mean, here's a thought experiment that I talked about in the book: is if I have three kids, so if someone came to me, uh, an evil villain, and said, uh, "Okay, if you can either kill one of your kids or kill ten strangers," uh, I wouldn't even think about it. I'd kill the 10 strangers. I'd feel guilty about it. I'd feel terrible, but it's so deeply embedded in my uh, human nature that I would save my own child, uh, so, which, uh, which is pro- can be problematic because it means that we are putting those who are close to us genetically uh, over the common good. Uh, so I don't propose that we get rid of family. It's too uh, it's too close to our human nature. We'll we unless we unless there's some you know uh, we change brains. There's no way you can get rid of it. But you can start to try to think of widen your sense of who is family. So uh, make it not just your the people who are uh, you know your kids and and uncles but uh, the people who live in your town, the people who are in your state, in your country, in your hemisphere, in the world. And that is that is sort of the more evolved way uh, I try to think. It's a struggle. It is a struggle because I'm human, but I try. Let's take a break. When we come back more with A.J. Jacobs, his new book uh, is It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree. And after the break, I'll, I'll have you introduce us to uh, one of your guides along this, uh, this, this, this adventure, um, Randy Schoenberg. Um, oh, and, yeah. And uh, the world's family tree. And uh, to, I'll have you tell us about uh, some of the people you're related to and we're probably related to as well. Uh, more following the break.
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Student Media, proud to celebrate 115 years since the first Student Life newspaper was published in November 1902. More information on the celebration available at studentmedia.usu.edu. I'm Kristen Munson, Features Reporter for Utah Public Radio. UPR is a community-based organization, and we want to hear from you. If you have comments, story ideas, or questions for any of us at this station, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit our website at upr.org or call us at 1-800-826-1495. You can also share ideas with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just be sure to include the hashtag IAMUPR. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is best-selling author A.J. Jacobs. You uh, likely are familiar with his uh, books, The Year of Living Biblically, The Know-It-All, and Drop Dead Healthy. The latest book is It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree. And on this adventure, he drinks beer with a U.S. president. He visits Salt Lake City. Um, he meets scientists and computer programmers working to chart and understand the world's genetics links, and he attempts to convene the biggest family reunion in recorded history. As we go along, we'll ask him how that went. Um, A.J. Jacobs uh, lives in uh, New York City. You can find him at ajjacobs.com, and you have a chance to interact with A.J. Jacobs. He is coming to the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City tomorrow. That event is 7 p.m., free and open to the uh, public. Uh, so, A.J. Jacobs, um, you uh, you got interested in this, uh, this, uh, this cryptic email from a, uh, turns out to be a relative in Israel, and uh, you, you need some guides along the way. One of the people you turn to is uh, Randy Schoenberg, who is, uh, I, get it, I take it, related to the composer. Right. He's the grandson of the composer, Arnold Schoenberg, and he was one of my guides. One of the, the parts of this book, researching this book that I loved, is just meeting all of these fascinating people. So Randy, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with, uh, with Mormon uh, experts who helped me tremendously. Um, I, I loved a guy who uh, is named Ron Ahrens, who he goes to convention, genealogy conventions dressed in a black and white prison suit. And his whole business model is he'll research the criminals in your family tree. <laughs> uh, so, but Randy is a fascinating character. He's really one of the big players in these collaborative family trees uh, the, that we were talking about earlier, where you have millions of people connected. So he was the one who gave me a crash course in websites like Genie and Family Search and WikiTree and how uh, it's almost like the ultimate social network. It's almost like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but everyone is Kevin Bacon. So I would, you could type someone into a search bar in Genie, for instance, like uh, I typed in Barack Obama and the computer does its calculating. It takes like a minute because there's so much data. And then it out pops how I'm connected. I am, Barack Obama is my fifth great aunt, husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. Hmm. That is the literal, so we're practically brothers. We're quite close. Um, but I do love this uh, this way that we are able to see the, concretely the links that bind us all. And it's actually turned out to be quite useful, because for the book, I wanted to interview a lot of interesting people uh, who have interesting families, and I, I wanted to interview, interview the elder Bush, George H.W. Bush, 
I approached his uh, chief of staff who said, nah, he's not doing interviews. And then I said, well, okay, I understand, but let me just tell you, he is my third cousin's great aunt's for fourth time is removed. And she's like, oh, well, okay, you know, since you are related, let me see what I can do. And I actually got the interview. You got the interview. How, how did that go? Oh, it was great. I love talking to him and, uh, and his wife, Barbara, who gave me a, part of the reason was I, I interviewed all these people about the meaning of family and how to be a good family member. And she gave me some good marital advice that I still try to follow today. She said, every, each member, each spouse should try to do 75, put in 75%, because we're biased, so our 75% is probably like really like 50%. So go the extra mile, even if you think uh, you're doing more than you should. So I try to follow that. I don't go full 75%, but maybe 65%. Okay, yeah. Have you gotten feedback from your from your wife on how you're, how you're doing with that? <laughs> Uh, she says I'm doing. I, she says uh, stop doing a book tour and get back here and uh, <laughs> and help out. Right. But other than that, I'm doing a little better. Yeah. Uh, who Who else have you? I, I imagine you had fun and you, people could go to World's Family Tree, right? Or Genie, right? That's the, the or there are other sites. Um, and type in. So who Who else did you type in? Well, I typed in you know Albert Einstein. That was exciting. Uh, you know, I am Jewish, so anyone who's an Ashkenazi Jew is actually quite closely blood-related to me because we are a uh, endogamous population, which is a polite word. We uh, we did a lot of inbreeding, uh, but it's a double-edged sword because I also am related to Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. But I will say that's on my wife's side, <laughs> and uh, so I I try to make sure. To remind her of that. By the way, the, this guy that goes uh, to conventions dressed in the the prison uniform, what's he? I guess he's trying to make the point that uh, we're all we're proud of connections, but we all have uh, skeletons in the closet too. Exactly, and I think it asks, is a very useful point to realize. Uh, it, it gives us a little more forgiveness, um, and to realize everyone's got their good and bad ancestors, and. Uh, and even more than that, that we don't—we're not beholden to our ancestors' sins. We can to start anew. We can be our own people, and we don't have to uh, just because our ancestors are evil. We don't have to be evil. And there's actually the favorite study of any genealogist is a great study from Duke University that talked about how kids who know genealogy knew their family history are more uh, well-adjusted and happier than those who don't. And the psychologists who conducted the study talk about the reason is, it's not just memorizing the dates of your great-grandparents' birth, it's because you need to tell your kids the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, the struggles, that your family has had successes, but it's also had setbacks, and you have to persevere. And it gives kids the sense of resilience and grit that is just so important to their happiness. One of the impulses here, you write in the book, you you know you're looking up the you know the, the branches, your ancestry, but you also got thinking about uh, your descendants. You, you've got three three kids, right? You got thinking out through uh, through through that way, right? I think. Uh, 
and then that's the other thing that I try to remember is that my if the human race survives, fingers crossed, um, that if it thrives another few hundred years, all of our descendants will be really interrelated, and um, and that we should uh, you know, we should try that. There's that that lovely notion of the seventh generation. Uh, it's a Native American notion that we should, when we do something, we should think how does it reverberate down the generations. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I learned about the idea from uh, like an eco-friendly uh, uh, you know, diaper company <laughs> called Seventh Generation, <laughs> but it's uh, I looked into it more, and it is a wonderful way to think because uh, yeah, it's not just us; it's our it's our great 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 grandkids that we should try to be uh, aware of. Hmm. Uh, you're uh, you're also related, I guess a lot of people are, to Kevin Bacon. That's You mentioned the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know if you're six yeah, degrees everyone, away, but... Uh, it, it's quite remarkable to be figure out how you're related to almost everyone on Earth. And also, I think, that's one of the big changes in genealogy, is that when it started, it was, it was a pretty elitist uh, hobby. You know, proving that I'm descended from... Uh, royalty, and you're not, therefore, you cannot join my country club. Uh, that was sort of a very separatist, elitist idea. Nowadays, it, a lot of people are turning that on its head, showing that we are all related, uh, and showing that uh, we all have good ancestors and bad ancestors, and uh, that we share 99.9% of our DNA with everyone else on Earth. Uh, so it's actually a very inclusive hobby now, which I love. I want to talk about implications, and you you list off some some implications um, of uh, of the fact that we're all related, and it's becoming more and more clear. You know, you can type into the world's family tree. Uh, but I want to um, you also talk about some well, just call it the ick factor. Um, one <laughs> one one of the name one of the names that came back. <laughs> along with Albert Einstein, <laughs> was your wife. Yes, I knew you were going there from your setup. Uh, yes, that is, um, uh, since we are all cousins, it logically follows that we all did marry our cousins. And uh, I, my cousin, Julie, we're both Ashkenazi Jews, so we're actually quite, oh, we're about six cousins, I would say. I actually, when I found this, I, I was amused. I brought it in to my wife, and I said, look, honey, we're related. I thought it would spice up our marriage. She was freaked out. She did not approve. Um, but again, it was sixth or seventh cousin, so there's really no effect on birth defects uh, uh, or anything like that. Uh, weirdly, she was watching the Game of Thrones when I told her, which I, was <laughs> kind of appropriate since that's a big theme in that show. Uh but yeah, this is um, it, it, it's fascinating to read about the history of cousin marriage, and I have a chapter on that in the book. Uh, Charles Darwin married his first cousin, Edgar Allan Poe. Lots of royals married their first cousins. Eighty percent, according to a uh, anthropologist at Rutgers, eighty percent of humans throughout history married their second cousin or closer, which just blew me away. Like, that is a crazy statistic. But it's because 
for most of human history, we lived in these very small tribes, and you married whoever was nearby. Hmm. I want to talk about uh, implications. Uh, if, if we're all related, if that becomes more clear through collaborative genealogy and through DNA, um, one of the implications you talk about is, is perhaps this is bad news for bigots, you would hope, maybe. Right, that is certainly my hope, and because it does really reveal that we are all much. Uh, one of the uh, advisors in my book that I, I, I interview and sort of gives me guidance, Henry Louis Gates, the Harvard professor, host of Finding Your Roots, and uh, and as he likes to say, there's no such thing as racial purity. We are all a mix. The average African American has 24 percent. Um, European DNA. I myself uh, have this. I thought it was interesting. I am I am ninety seven percent Jewish, but I am two and a half percent Arab. So I have the Middle East conflict within my body, and uh, and I am still alive. So hopefully, you know, I can uh, I can <laughs> be a uh, an inspiration that uh, we can coexist. Hmm. Uh, another effect that you you talk about uh, brings history alive. I guess that um, and that that heritage that you were talking about, this Duke study, that's that's another part of this. I guess if we, the kids right. learn, learn about their heritage, both good and bad, then that that helps to develop grit. Yeah, that is, and also just reading. I love to tell my kids about the one of the most moving parts of genealogy to me is reading about the struggles of your ancestors. And my father's father, for instance, I knew he was poor, but until I interviewed my grandfather, my father and my aunt, I just I didn't know the extent of it. The fact that he, his mother, so that would be my great grandmother, would give him a nickel uh, at the start of the day, and he could either take the bus to school or he could buy lunch, but he couldn't afford to do both. If he if he walked to school, he would be be beaten up by the neighborhood thug. If he took the bus, he wouldn't. He would be hungry and wouldn't be able to eat. And it's just this type. I feel so blessed and lucky that I, I, my, he worked so hard that I don't have to make decisions like that. And so I do try to tell that to my kids. Um, sometimes they roll their eyes, as kids will do. But uh, I'm hopeful that on some level it sinks in just how lucky they are that our ancestors sacrificed so much. If you just joined us, we're talking with best-selling author A.J. Jacobs. The latest book is It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree. You're welcome to join this conversation if you would like at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, toll-free number. Or you can uh, shoot us an email at uh, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. A.J. Jacobs will be in Salt Lake City tomorrow. That event at the King's English Bookshop is free and open to the public, and it begins uh, tomorrow evening at uh, 7. Um, so, uh, A.J. Jacobs, I wonder um, what other implications uh, there are from, from this, these, this rapid advance in this understanding, hopefully this understanding, that we are, are all inter- interconnected? Uh, well, it's, it's going to be a fascinating world, especially with all of these um, uh, DNA tests, uh, which will provide uh, 
a lot of wonderful news, but also a lot of disconcerting news. And one of my favorite chapters in the book is about a uh, a Mormon man, actually, who grew up with, he had nine uh, siblings. And it turns out after DNA testing, as an adult, they figured out that they were from nine different fathers. They all assumed that they had come from the one father, but he actually had sired none of them. And uh, so it was like the Maury Povich show to the ninth degree. <laughs> and he, uh, what I found inspiring about this, I mean, it is, it is titillating in some sense, but it was also an inspiring story because he was able to reframe it and say, I have all of these new relatives now. Isn't it wonderful? He forgave his mother. He said she obviously has huge flaws, but she's also had some good parts. Uh, his father, I think, of as one of the great heroes of all time, because his father knew, apparently knew, that these kids were not his biological offspring, but still treated them with love, uh, as if they were. So uh, it's going to be really interesting as the, we all start taking DNA tests, as I say, you're going you're gonna to find out some good and bad information, and it's all how we process it. So this guy, to me, is a real um, inspiration. Yeah, I guess that's you taking what could be your very bad news and uh, spinning it positively. That's a good exactly. way to handle it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about the uh, your, your trips to uh, to Utah. Obviously, if you're doing a book about genealogy, you're, you're probably going to want to— uh, you know, come to Utah to go to Roots Tech, uh, talk to Mormon church officials. Uh, you, you did all of the above, including singing with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, as, uh, as you know, uh, Salt Lake City is the mecca for uh, genealogy, and uh, the uh, LDS Church is, the, uh, is sort of the Golden State Warriors of genealogy. I mean, the amount. This statistic blew me away, uh, that... The uh, the Mormon uh, the Mormons add more data to their database every year than is contained in the Library of Congress. So just the um, sheer amount of research that goes on, and what I find amazing and inspiring is that uh, the Mormon Church is not secretive with this data. That is open to the public. You can see it on Family Search. You can go to the um, the, the Family Research libraries and get it, which uh, I think is a huge gift to the world. So I thank them for that. Um, and yeah, they were extremely helpful. They agreed with the idea of uh, that we're one big family, uh, and they let me sing with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which was crazy. They did. They didn't let me. I, I did it for a rehearsal. I think they wanted to keep me away from prime time. Mm. Probably a good idea, but they invited me to have the experience, which is wonderful because this book is all about community and, uh, you know, uh, harmony, and this is the literal version of, you know, mm. I want to, like the, the, the old uh, Coke ad, I want to buy the world of Coke and sing in harmony. I don't want to buy the world of Coke. I'm not, uh, you know, very unhealthy, but I like the other part. They didn't let you go to the vault. I guess they don't let anybody go to the, the, the vault where they keep all of the, you know, the records. 
Right. No, I did not make it. And the vault, as as most of your listeners might know, is this huge um, structure, this hole, this cave in a mountain in Utah, which just has billions and billions of records. So yes, I was I was not allowed in there. I guess you you have to. Um, I don't know what you have to do, but uh, but they were incredibly helpful, and they you know, they let me have access to pretty much everything else. So uh, I was very grateful. I, I even at the, I went to the um, the library in Utah a couple of times, and I actually found something that was not online, which was a um, marriage certificate of uh, my second great-grandma in Poland. And uh, it was really moving just to see this piece of paper uh, and that they were find out the little details. I mean, she was 17 years old and he was 21 years old. To me, like at the age of 17, I was barely able to, uh, you know, have a, a friendship. I I couldn't decide. You know, I barely could decide on, uh, you know, what video game to play. I was not anywhere close to choosing a mate. So. Um, it is remarkable that uh, what their lives were like, how different life was. You, uh, in the book, you do address the question, I guess, the people might have. Why does the Mormon Church, why are the interest in, uh, in genealogy? Right. I talk about that, and, you know, I, I'm no expert, so I'm probably oversimplified it vastly, so apologies. But I did get approval. I have a lot of Mormon friends and advisors, and so they said... This is, you got the basic gist, uh, so they gave it their thumbs up. But yeah, as, as you probably know, it's part of the Mormon theology that um, that you need to know where you are and uh, to uh, who your family is in order to, um, uh, in the afterlife, to be able to connect with them. So uh, yeah, I am not a Mormon myself, but I feel lucky that I benefited from this aspect of their theology. Of course, this goes beyond Mormonism. I wonder what you think about what, what the impetus behind this is. There, there has been an explosion of interest. There are you know, television shows and uh, uh, you know books, including now, now yours. It's, uh, it does seem to be just growing and growing in, uh, in popularity and interest. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is extraordinary. I mean, not just this TV shows, it's cruises. It's these genealogy conventions like Tech, which gets something like 30,000 people. Um, so it is, and there's one statistic, which I love. Uh, Business Week printed it. It said that genealogy is the second most searched topic on the Internet right after porn, So, uh, which I suppose is not surprising. But uh, it's still uh, amazing that it is number two. And I think uh, there are several reasons. One is just this idea that everyone wants to know who they are and where they came from. Uh, it's a way to connect with the past and, and pay tribute to our ancestors. But it's also partly because we are in the golden age. It has never been easier. You used to have to take a train and go to a courthouse in Cleveland and look in some dusty bin to get uh, a marriage certificate. So much of it you can do sitting on your couch, and 
uh, and taking DNA tests, it's just mind-blowing what is available now. Uh, so I think making it that so, so much easier has really spurred the boom. Did you, I think you took a DNA test? I did, several. I oh, took, you, oh, you uh, did, okay. Yeah, five or six, yeah, because there's several services out there. Oh, you, you used them all, and it's, it's really as simple as uh, some saliva? Is that all you need? That's it. You just, they send you a kit, you spit the saliva in there, you send it off, and a few weeks later they will send you a couple of things. Uh, one, they'll send you your supposed ethnic breakdown, so, you know, 60% European, 23% East Asian, uh, 4% Native American, what have you. Uh, they'll also send you a list of people who share enough DNA to be your cousins. Like, it'll say, you know, estimated fifth cousin, and it'll have the name of someone else that you can contact. Uh, some of them have a health aspect, too, saying which genes you have. Um, now, I find them wonderful. Uh, just a, a couple of caveats uh, to be aware of. One is that they are not totally accurate yet. They are, it's still somewhat of an art. Uh, to give you an example, when I took one uh, ancestry a few years ago, uh, it came back that I was 14% Scandinavian. I was mostly Jewish, but 14% Scandinavian. I was psyched. I was like, all right, break out the cross-country skis. Let's get some gravlax. Uh But it turned out it was, a, it was uh, an overestimate. And now it's down to, it went down to 2%. Now it's at 0.1% Scandinavian. So I am no longer Scandinavian. Um, and it's because the databases are constantly evolving. So they are getting more accurate. But just be a little bit, have a little bit of uh, skepticism uh, when they say, and don't believe it 100%. Mm. Um, and then the other uh, caveat is just, you know, there are concerns about privacy and that in the future a hacker might be able to break in and see exactly what genes you have. Uh, it's a real concern. I don't know what to say about it. I decided that the benefits outweighed the uh, costs, and I went ahead and did it many times, and uh, and I'm hoping for the best. Now, the, the, your your brief period as a Scandinavian that illustrates a, um, um, a, a point, that this does fire the imagination, doesn't it? There's something that, that, that goes on. You, you um, I guess, uh, for a brief period, proud of your Scandinavian heritage, and, and then no longer <laughs> Scandinavian. You, you belong to that group, and then now you don't. Uh, what do you talk a bit about that? Because it, it does, there's something deep within us that, uh, I guess, wants to belong to a group uh, or several groups, and, uh, and it's part of our identity. Exactly. It is. It is really interesting. And it's going to be uh, get more interesting and more complex because you'll have people who say they come back, they're 4% Native American, and they'll say, oh, I identify as Native American, or, you know, I want some percentage of the casino profits. And it's going to get very, uh, very complex. Uh, my hope is that we realize that we are all mutts and that, you know, it's good to identify with a group. That's fine. Your real identity is human. That should be your number one identity. And then the other identities are, uh, are important, but, uh, but lesser. Um, and uh, because 
we really do, we need to remind ourselves we are 99%, 99.9% the same. And uh, we, as a society, as you mentioned in the intro, we've just become obsessed with our differences and separation and, uh, you know, my group is better than your group, and it's, it's not a way to move forward. And uh, we've got these huge problems like uh, poverty, climate change, pandemic diseases, nuclear uh, war. You know, these are not things you can solve with a bunch of uh, fighting groups. You need to get the whole world united. I sound like a, uh, I sound like I'm from Woodstock, but uh, I think it, it actually can happen now. I mean, I, I'm optimistic that science and these revolutions can have an impact. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the world's largest family reunion, how that went. Uh, I think you, and you mentioned Woodstock in the book. I believe you say that your hope for the world's family reunion would it'd be like Woodstock, except with more pants and deodorant, I think, was your, your line. Exactly. Um, so yes, we'll, I did not want any nudity, but yeah. I, I like the other vibe. Uh, so let's talk about that when we come back. Our guest is A.J. Jacobs. His latest book is It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree. More following this break. Developing cancer drugs in a lab takes a lot of time, but with computer science, researchers can fast-forward the process. Computer scientists at USU are recreating cancer tumors in a computer to test the effects of various drugs and cellular interactions. In just 15 minutes, they can simulate three months of tumor growth and calculate millions of potential outcomes about the spread and fate of the tumor. The results can help drug makers eliminate potential treatments that don't work and instead focus on ones that show the most promise. And because the computer picks potential treatments randomly, the results could reveal a drug combination that humans may never have thought of. Support on Utah Public Radio for Creating Tomorrow is provided in part by our members and the College of Engineering at Utah State University with graduate and undergraduate degrees in computer science and offering a computer science minor. Information at engineering.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We've reached our last segment with best-selling author A.J. Jacobs. You uh, likely remember him from uh, books such as The Year of Living Biblically. His latest book is It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree. A.J. Jacobs will be in Utah tomorrow uh, at the King's English Bookshop. That event is free and open to the public. begins at 7 p.m. tomorrow. So, A.J. Jacobs... And I'd love to see y- yes. all my cousins there. So yes. Come on down. Uh, it's only polite. <laughs> go, go, go and see your, your uh, cousin, A.J. Jacobs. That's um, right. By the way, before we get into the world's largest family reunion, um, on your website, which is ajjacobs.com, uh, there's an interesting article headlined, this is from 2014, Obama has 44 cousins in the Senate, now can't we all just get along? This is interesting, uh, it kind of uh, taking off from a uh, who we knew, I guess, was a, a relative, a second cousin who was running for uh, the Senate in Kansas, I believe, and then, then he lost. Um, and, and then uh, you, you looked it up, and he has 44 cousins, or had, I guess, right. well, still has 44 cousins, got, including Ted Cruz. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they are all related. And uh, and now, thanks to the research, it's actually 100. We figured out how every single member of the Senate is related. And um, hopefully they can uh, then take a look at that and 
maybe get be a little more efficient uh, than they are right now mm-hmm. with just screaming at each other. Yeah, I guess, and and so therefore they're, they're all related to each other, probably, right? Uh, so. Oh, exactly. Right. Uh, yeah, so all... I guess that shows the limitations of the, <laughs> this idea. They're still screaming at each other <laughs> at this point. Right. Yeah, it's not. I mean, uh, I have a whole chapter in the book about the Hatfields and the McCoys and family feuds. And that is, a, of course, a, a huge problem. I love the, talking to the descendants, though, because the McCoy descendant I found had actually engineered a reunion and a treaty between the Hatfields and the McCoys, and that they get along now. They had, a, with, within limits, because they had, instead of shooting each other, they had a, an annual softball game, and one of the, uh, and the, the Hatfields think the McCoys cheated and brought in a ringer. So, uh, yeah, you'll still get some uh, friction, but overall, they've made great strides, and their point is, if the Hatfields and McCoys can do it, anyone can do it. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's some hope anyway, right? Um, right. So tell us about this 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 idea, the world's uh, largest family reunion. You uh, you plan it throughout the book. You have little um, sections of uh, your. A lot of it is your stress, your worry that it's all going to fail horribly. <laughs> um, uh, apparently, well, apparently did it, not right. fail horribly. So tell yeah, us about that. It was it was highly stressed. I mean, as you say, part of the book is. Um, a memoir, part is a how-to for genealogy, part is science, but part is this sort of this thriller of my attempt to put on the largest family reunion, because I thought when I figured out I'm related to all seven billion people on Earth, I thought, well, why not throw a little party for my family? Um, and I, you know, I invited seven billion. No, I won't do any spoilers, <laughs> so I won't say what the final attendance was, but it was not 100%. It was not a hundred. We didn't get seven billion, but um, the idea was to bring all these people together in New York, but also at simultaneous reunions around the world. We had forty, including in Salt Lake City, where they were, had an amazing turnout. Um, because I, you know, the Mormons are some of the greatest organizers in the history of humanity. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, we had. Uh, I won't, I won't give away all the ending, but I will say it was the strangest day of my life. <laughs> Just looking around the crowd that came to New York, we had uh, celebrities and scientists and athletes. We had a, a rabbi, a minister, and a Buddhist monk. So it was almost like the setup to a joke. Uh, and we did have a bar. We did have alcohol. So you could say they walked into a bar. And uh, it was actually very moving. Um, I'm not a hugger myself, but there was a lot of spontaneous hugging going along uh, among cousins who had never met each other. And uh, we had speakers like Henry Louis Gates. So it, it, was, um, it was a remarkable uh, event. I am still recovering. I think I am still, because as you say, it was the most stressful day of my life um, <laughs> You know, throwing a party, going to a party can be fun. Throwing a party is not so fun, especially on that scale. Uh, but you, but you, <laughs> but you say that a lot of people, I guess, were receiving that this in the, in the way that you wanted them to. Oh yeah, it's it's really heartening and inspiring that people really did seem to uh, to connect to the idea. And yeah, I mean, I had never. 
I've, I've done a lot of experiments on myself for my books, like trying to be as healthy as possible or live by the Bible. I had never really tried to start a movement or get thousands of people involved. So it was totally new to me, intimidating, foreign, overwhelming, uh, but also uh, amazing. And, and hopefully it sunk in with my kids that you, you have to engage in the world. You know, you can't just stay by yourself and, and focus on you. And you invited, you, you, you had to invite uh, Sister Sledge, right? We are family. Exactly. I figured they are the perfect and uh, guest entertainers. So they actually came and we sang, you know, We Are Family. Uh, you know, the line is uh, All My Sisters and Me, and they changed it to All My Cousins and Me. So that was very exciting. Uh, and Joni Sledge, the leader of the group, actually died shortly after. So we were one of the last performances. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I wonder, we just have oh, about three three minutes left. You have a um, section at the end. Uh, you've learned some things along the way, and people are interested. Uh, some advice. What advice would you give to people who are jumping into the world of genealogy? Right. Yes, the book has a, an appendix co-written by a, a, a professional genealogist and Mormon named Eowyn Langhoff, Langhoff great woman. Um, and it's got basically what, what we found to be the most helpful uh, uh, resources and there are many. There's um, uh, great web websites like FamilySearch, but also DNA companies. One thing that seems so simple, but I really feel strongly about it, is please interview your parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles as soon as possible. There's, you can go on the website, the web, and search for oral history questions. There's a lot of 